0: Okay, today on our GNL Voice guest line, we have Victor Barajas, and he is going to be talking to us today about social engineering threats. And before before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of things, I, I did some preliminary research on what social engineering threats were and, and how much they cost, and... Uh, According to Accenture, in 2017, 70% of com- companies in the United States reported that they had been attacked by social engineering. And what what amazed me is that according to their studies... Um, the number of days it took to detect some sort of breach was amazing. I thought, you know, it would be relatively quick. But according to Accenture studies, it took on average 146 days for companies to detect any kind of social engineering attack and to react to that. And if you remember a few years ago, the big things were were viruses and uh But that has evolved, and now, according to Accenture, only 3% of attacks on companies are malware or viruses, and 90% of them are based on social engineering. And according to Juniper Research, uh, companies will have spent a total of $2.1 trillion by the end of 2019 remediating and... Uh, accounting for the costs of social engineering te- um, attacks. So now I'm going to ask Victor. Victor, can you kind of enlighten us on what what social engineering attacks are and what the threats are to, the, to our industry?
1: Of course. Sure, John. So social engineering, social engineering is, is a method that um, cyber criminals use to target uh, certain individuals to obtain information. So when we talk about social engineering, it's not about the technology, it's about the human behavior aspect of things. Um, these are attempts to, um, uh, to get information by impersonating or by sort of tricking the end user to think that they're actually interacting with someone that is a safe uh, individual. Um, but the reality is, is that they're actually using their naivety almost um, or their trust in order to get information from them, so they can leverage it for some other nefarious use. Okay,
0: how are how are the attacks evolving? You know, I talked about some of the stats I found just doing a you know a half hour of research on the internet. And but how what have you learned about the evolution of social engineering attacks and and how they're they're increasing?
1: Well, I think it it should always go back to you know the. The evolution, we talk about sort of how did all this get started? And, you know, the, the, the interesting aspect behind it is that it's – it's this has been happening since the early days of email. And, you know, I think, you know, back – you know, for some of the older folks that are um, – that can date themselves this way, is the first email system that was publicly used is probably – America Online. Yep. Everybody, you know, used America Online. Yes,
0: I, I, I used that one too.
1: <laughs> See, exactly. So so back in the early to mid-90s is right around the time where, um, where there, were, there were the first instances of this type of a, a behavior where um, cyber criminals started realizing that, hey, if I can get their credit card information or if I can get their driver's license or social security numbers, that I could use that to impersonate them and use that information to sell it to somebody else so they can um, either open, you know, loans or credit cards or things like that. So those, those early uh, cyber criminals were known as freaks. Um, and it was really, you know, came around. It, it, the, the term freaks was actually uh, spelled P-H-R-E-A-K-S. Uh, so the whole phishing, it's, it's a ter- that led into the term of phishing because the idea was is that I would fish for information uh, from individuals, you know, via email, and that phishing um, sort of morphed into uh, the, the way it's spelled today is p h i s h i n g as uh, a, a sort of a, a, a relational uh, term back to freaks. So early on, it was basic email that would, you know, app. Impersonate, you know, information like, "Hey, I need your password. or I need your email ID, or you need to uh, do this, so you don't get cut off." Um, so th- they would actually try to develop uh, these schemes to get information from those en- from those end users really early on. And what's happened over time is that they've gotten a little more sophisticated. So while they started in uh, in the early days with just sort of uh, sending out multiple emails to multiple uh, thousands of people Um, because if you think about fishing it's kind of the same way is that you throw out a line and you wait for one fish out of the thousands in the ocean to uh, uh, millions in the oceans to get a bite nowadays it's evolving now to they're much more targeted where they actually are doing much more research about the individual that they're trying to get the information from and leveraging that information to get more information and better information so they can continue that attack. So they've gotten much more sophisticated just because of the fact that uh, cyber criminals have gotten more sophisticated.
0: Okay, what, uh, what were some of the first things they tried to do? Was it just to get personal information or, or what, what did they try to get people? To, to give?
1: So, so the basic things were always user IDs and passwords. You know, they would tell you that, Hey, um, you know in in a scenario such as hey, your credit card uh, you know has been a, uh, has been attempted to be breached can you validate your user id and password so we can reset the password so very simple things they would ask for very very basic information and of course you know the the one user that would would, would see that and say oh okay i'll give you that because i'm i'm thinking you're trying to you're a trusted individual so i'm thinking you're just trying to help me um and so Of course, you know, they would do that and then they would realize that uh, their email would get hijacked or they would use that user ID and passwords in different websites or or for credit card information. Um, And it was really just used as a way of gaining gaining trust because if they can get somebody to say, yes, I'll give you this piece of information, they'll come back and ask for more information. So -hmm. what's interesting about the social engineering tactics is that if you actually get you know if you get fished if you get uh, if you give information that gives them a reason to come back to get more information and in many cases that's uh, that's what ends up happening so um, in many of these uh, cases where social engineering is, is used is that it's used to get one piece of information and then leverage that information to get additional information whether it's about your individual information or others around you so It's now evolved from being a sort of consumer-based email now, and now it's actually really gone into the corporate world, where now they'll actually um, do research uh, about the the company. Who's the CEO? Who's the CFO? And all they need to do is get to the the secretary, for example, and they'll say, hey, acting as the CEO, they'll send an email to the secretary asking for uh, user ID and passwords, or for the the bank information for routing information, and and what that individual will do is by impersonating someone of power to someone that's a subordinate. Um, they get that information because they're just they're they're, they're obviously going to trust that in individual because they think they're speaking to the right individual. Mm-hmm. So they'll get much more much more uh, 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 confident as you give them one piece of information, they'll get more.
0: Okay. What uh, I I know when. When I'm reading things and I'm getting emails, um, one of the things I know that makes things more um, secure for me is that, say, Capital One. I have a Capital One credit card. They Mm -hmm. always ensure that they – they always say, we will never ask you for your user ID or password. Correct. Um, So that's one thing I think our listeners have to understand is that if they get a call – and or a piece of email asking for that most legitimate companies and including the irs are not going to be asking for that because i get lots of emails saying you know the we will prosecute you if you don't call us over the next two days and blah 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 so i mean it's it's just not companies it's federal institutions that that people are getting scammed on
1: and, and you make a really good point there, John, but um, what's even happening today – and it's funny because you, you should mention that because I received an email recently where the hacker sent me an email that says, hey, I got your user ID and I have your password. And sure enough, they had one of my old passwords, So, and they're basically trying to get me to respond back to them to give them money or, or else they're going to get into my email um, email and – um, and encrypt all my data, you know, or steal my data. I've heard and of that. What, what's that called? Is so a- those, the, those terms like that, I mean, it's a, it's a phishing scheme, essentially. But what's happened is that if we look back at the history, um, you know, we've had so many breaches, data breaches already in multitude of companies, whether it be, you know, the um, with Home Depot or there would be um, – There are several several other companies that have been uh, hacked, even to the point where the federal government has been hacked. So they have a lot of our information already in one way or another. And so – and one of my systems, I think it was a Yahoo Yahoo password. They had my Yahoo user ID and my password, and they had it. They had it correctly, but because uh, I changed my password already multiple times since that point. This individual had claimed that he could get into my email, and, and unless I paid him, that he would get in and steal my data. And it's just a way that if I responded and said, okay, I'll give you money, they've accomplished the, the, what they're trying to do. They're, tr- they're trying to get a, a response from me in order to elicit you know, a reaction because of fear.
0: <laughs> are most of the, the bad guys, so to speak, are they based here in the U.S., or are they foreign entities?
1: Oh, and uh, it, it's funny because it's d- depending on you know who you speak to in the security world is that you'll they'll say that the, you know that they're overseas, but I think there's just as many you know domestic uh, hackers here um, because we see we see examples of these things where um, you know today it's you know it's typically been been happening through email, but nowadays it's actually happening over the phone now, where you'll get a phone call and you'll have a live individual. And they'll pretend to impersonate somebody of, uh, of power. You know, they'll say, oh, this is your credit card company. I just need to validate this because we were seeing some type of uh, strange activity. And they'll ask you for information. You know? So in many of those cases, it's, it's becoming much more sophisticated. So I don't think that it's always overseas, although a majority of, I think, the email, um, uh, social engineering, and phishing scams are definitely coming from overseas but I think you know, the more sophisticated attacks are coming from the U.S. because they're figuring out better ways of, of targeting users versus this mass type of, uh, of phishing schemes where they're just you know, opening – looking for a very broad set of responses from anybody to – in the U.S. where you'll actually get knowledgeable individuals that have done homework and really target uh, you know, specific people to get information
0: is there a demographic like is it older people that they target or is it basically anyone
1: uh, i think it's basically anybody but the problem with with the majority of users is that you have a large huge base of, uh, of of users that haven't been brought up in this world that haven't been brought up in the electronic world you know such as the millennials they know how to you know they know things on uh you know it, using um email and using instant messaging and texting they they're a lot more savvy. The ones that aren 't as tech savvy which are the older individuals they 're the ones that are the easy targets because they either don 't have the experience nor the education to really identify those you know, those threats so in many cases, social engineering um, schemes will really target the ones that aren 't as educated mm-hmm. um, that don 't have that experience because it 's going to be they 're going to have more success in that area
0: now was I was also reading on 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 this topic, and it's not just individuals that are getting scammed. Um, money order companies are mm-hmm. are targeted also. They'll they'll get their their support desk, so to speak, will get a call from their money order, feigning to be a money order organization, saying we're going to come on site to test your equipment, and we're going to have to uh, print a few money orders, and. Yep the unsophisticated, you know, store manager says, Oh yeah. And they come in and they print, you know, money orders for thousands of dollars and then walk away with that free money. Yep. Yep.
1: And, and that's kind of the, the, the idea is social engineering has much more to do with human behavior. It's not a technology thing um, because, you know, it, it's gotten to the point now that um, anybody walking to your front door, you know, at your home or anything, how do you know that individual is who they say they are? And that's, you know, that's that's they're just leveraging that point as just one of the many ways that they can obtain information from you um, that they can you know profit on.
0: OK, so there's some some terms I'm going to throw out that, you know, um, research is a bad thing, I suppose, that I've, <laughs> I've learned of. And uh, so watering hole. Um, what, what's a watering hole? So, a
1: watering hole is basically it's it, it's a point where they where they've had success, um, and typically what what most you know um, scammers do is that the watering hole is where they actually would go to. Um, they've had success, and they keep coming back to that area. So, it's it's very much one of the best ways for them to um, to identify. And, and there's some interesting uh, stats on this: is that if you've been it, it, you know if you've been hacked. And they've gotten successful. It's also estimated that you know that 65% uh, chance that you're going to get targeted again. So you know, so watering holes are just typically points where they can actually um, very much you know find success and then keep coming back and obtain more information, more data, or even start leveraging you to get more to get access to other things. Um, So it's it's definitely one of the one of the ways that hackers can actually. Um, you know, target specific
0: areas, you know, for, for an attack. Okay. And what is tailgating? Tailgating
1: uh, for, so tailgating in the term, uh, are you referring to the term of uh, people following people into buildings? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so tailgating, is, and it's, and it's a funny thing because um, the way that most people get inside buildings nowadays um, is simply following somebody that as they badge in and they open the door, They'll just follow them and, and act very normal as if just to walk in. Um, and, that's, and it's very interesting. Certain companies have different uh, security protocols for, for methods of getting in. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting because um, some organizations like banks, you know, when you go call on a bank, if you're doing business at a bank, not on the consumer side, but say on the back office side when you're meeting with somebody, there, is, there are stalls. There are gates that you have to cross into. Um, and so that prevents that tailgating behavior. So many cases it's that if you're trying to get into a building, um, that they have security personnel and depending on their policies that will prevent that because they have technology and barriers in place to prevent that. But all, many office buildings don't, and you can just follow whoever you can. And, you know, I've seen that I've seen, I've been, a, uh, have been a victim of it where I open the door and someone's falling behind me and I'll stop. And I'll say, excuse me, can I see your badge? I just want to make sure you're, you're, you have, you're authorized to come in here. And they'll say, well, no, I don't have a badge. I'm waiting for somebody. And I'll say, well, tell you what, why don't you stand there and I'll go find that individual and we'll bring him out. And as soon as I say that, in many cases, nine times out of 10, they'll say, okay, no problem. But that one individual will, will, will say, oh, no, no, never mind. It's okay. And they'll walk away.
0: Wow. I've seen, you know, like, apartment com- newer apartment complexes have that where you have to you know, have your special key to get past a door and you'll see people waiting in the lot, in the, the vestibule area. And then as soon as yep. someone with a key opens that door, they follow everyone in. So, yep. you know, is that, that's tailgating too, right? But just not that's in a 100%. corporate sense. Okay. Um, what, where do you think, see things going? So it, it's, it's interesting um,
1: where, where social engineering attacks are going is they're really changing the way things are the, – the way systems are being developed, the way applications are being developed. And you've seen it already probably with your credit card, um, you know, with, with Capital One, that they're employing multiple ways to validate that you are who's, who you say you are. So what I'm seeing is that um, before a user ID and password were enough for you to get into, into things – Now what I'm seeing is that you now have to have two forms of authentication. Mm -hmm. So when I go into my bank and I type in my password, it actually will take me to the next page and say, okay, we're going to send you a text. And you need to put in that validation code into this this page because now you know something and you have to have something in order to get into this system. So multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication in that case is – a very simple way that a lot of organizations are actually doing that now. I don't know if you remember, maybe a few years ago, there, you know, for certain companies, you had to have a key fob yes. that would have a number on it, mm-hmm. right?
0: An RSA token, right?
1: An RSA token, exactly. Um, so those tokens have now become very ubiquitous you know, to the point where those tokens are sort of obsolete now and they're using your phone, since just about everybody has a phone, um, to use that as your fob. So you have to know something such as a password and you have to have something such as that Bob or phone uh, or phone in order to get a validation code. So that prevents a lot of the social engineering, because it, unless you give up that uh, that object um, or that, that that piece of information, they're never going to be able to get in You know, from a social engineering perspective.
0: Yeah, my company, uh, I, I've. I've used what's called semantic VIP um, access, which is that yep. that dig, that six-digit code, and it changes every sixty seconds. Correct. So, that, and that's on my phone. It's not a fob or anything like that. So,
1: right, right, and, and you know, there's so many different uh, security companies that provide that capability. So, um, it's gotten it's gotten better. So, there, you know, there are simple ways and simple tactics that. Um, that security professionals will use to, to, to figure that out. But let's take a step back there and realize that that's just, that's just a system access. The bigger issue right now has to be user education. So mm-hmm. I'll give you a case in point. Recently, there was a company that uh, got a request uh, to the payroll basically saying that, hey, we need to change our, um, our routing information for payroll. So normally, what happens is that you know there is an authorization from the CFO that that uh, releases the funds, you know, to a payroll company mm-hmm. that distributes it to you know to the employees. Well, what ended up happening is that someone from uh, from the payroll division received a call, and they said, "We need to change, you know, the routing information for 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 the payroll." So she went ahead and did that, you know, because the individual, you know, would give information, certain information to prove that that's who they were. And the problem is in that organization, they didn't have the right checks and balances to prevent validation for something as important as that. You should have like five levels of approval to do those things because it's a major thing. Well, she went ahead and did it because she believed the individual was was trustworthy and literally millions of dollars were lost. Wow.
0: What was the and end result of that?
1: The end result is the, the company had to reissue payroll, and um, you know they, they turned it over to the FBI and their uh, cyber crimes division. But once you once the money's gone, it's gone. It yeah. goes into the it goes into ether space, and uh, it's very very easily lost.
0: Yep. So, how long ago was that?
1: That was actually uh, about six months ago. Wow.
0: That's, that is amazing. I never, that, uh,
1: uh, and it's, and that's the thing is that we look at, we look at, you know, if you look at security, you know, it's people, it's process and it's tools. It's never, it's never just one thing. And many companies and organizations are finally figuring this out is that a tool will not prevent human behavior. A tool will not safeguard you from, good practices and policies a tool will not save you from you know bad information so it has got to be a combination of those multi, multiple things so when organizations are looking to looking at their security professionals that it is a combination of all these different things and as security professionals in, this, uh, in today's world they have to be um, very skilled at looking at things very differently so one of the ways that people are looking at this is that they employ sort of um, uh, what we call white hat individuals. Mm-hmm. So white hat hackers are essentially their trusted individuals that will use nefarious things to try to break into the organization, whether it's social social engineering, whether it's phishing, whether it's text messages. What they'll do is that they're trying to hack in, but not do anything malicious, because what they're doing is testing the policies, testing the tools, testing the people's education, the user's education to see and to gauge, are they well-protected? Are they uh, not well-protected? And how much? what kind of information were they able to get? Because once they identify um, the weak areas, then the company can actually employ whatever tools and whatever practices and policies to sort of strengthen those areas. So it's becoming much more relevant, you know, for security professionals to not just focus on just technology.
0: And it's not only just the technology, but it's also it's the employees, too, because they're kind of like, you know, at the the forefront and they're they're the ones that, you know, receive the calls, receive the emails. I know certain companies have. You know, they'll test their employees, and they'll send out these phishing emails. And, um, you know, your business cards are at the at the front desk. Click here to, to acknowledge receipt. And And, exactly. uh, you know, you click there, and it gives out your email address. Or, you know, you're then told, well, you failed uh, the phishing test. Or you click the little button in your email toolbar saying, this is a phishing. And you say, it and you get a congratulations. But, well, so... Uh-
1: and that's just one. And that's just one aspect. Take this, for example. I mean, when you think about, you know, nation, uh, na- nationwide hackers. So you're talking about, you know, when we're talking about countries that have a ha- have a cyber criminal program. The one thing that you know, it, it, people ask sometimes, what's the easiest way to get in to, to hack? Because there is no system that is not hack proof. Okay, and let's get that – I want to make sure I, I, I say that to your, for your listeners is that it's not a matter of, of if. It's a matter of when. And so the easiest way that, you know, that people get hacked is someone will walk into uh, a place of business and leave a USB key laying around. Okay, And all it takes is for someone to pick it up and say, oh, look, I found a USB key. This is great. And all they have to do is plug it into their computer. Once they do that, they're done.
0: I've heard things about USBs and the little battery power packs. And, uh, you know, I I never I thought the battery power packs were the most innocuous thing on the face of the earth. Then someone said, you know, if you're not exactly trusting where that came from, that can contain malicious code on there Mm -hmm. that will take, you know, show the bad guy everything on your laptop. So.
1: Recently, and that's a, that's a that's a good point. Recently, even I read an article where um, hackers actually had taken you know the the lightning um, recharging cables for iPhones. Yes, we all have we all have those. Mm-hmm. They've actually been able to reverse engineer the because it contains a chip that manages the um, the power distribution to the phone. They've actually been able to reverse engineer these things to actually put malware into the cable. So if you find a cable laying around, you know, you're thinking, oh, it's just a cable, I'll just plug it right in. They're now able to provide, put in malware into the cables so when you plug it into your phone that you're installing malware into your phone.
0: Yeah. So you find a cable, throw it away.
1: Yeah. Well, basically, if you don't know where the source of the cable came from, you know, it's a possible, it's a possibility that now hackers have become so sophisticated that they can do that.
0: Yeah. It's It's amazing how things that used to be Relatively innocuous can now cause so much damage. Um,
1: uh, agreed. And that's kind of the, it goes back to it's not if, it's when. Mm-hmm.
0: So what kind of things should our listeners be aware of from not only a, a personal perspective, but also, uh, you know, on the job?
1: Well, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, uh, first of all, it's just be aware, be aware of the situation, be aware of what people are asking you. Um, over technology or over the phone or even on a text message um, be aware and validate you know um, it, it's 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 terrible in today's you know day and age is that um, that people will get uh, will, will have so many ways of being attacked and it's a constant thing um, but it's an idea of just making sure that you're educated about you know what is happening what should I be aware of most companies have a formalized program to educate their employees um, take the training that they offer. Don't just assume that oh, I know what I'm doing and, and, and I'm very sophisticated and I'm a, a great user and I know how to how to you know traverse technology. Um, it doesn't matter. The best of us, the most savvy of us, we can all be hacked. Very very simply because it's about human behavior. It's not about you know a technology or knowledge. Um, it's uh, it's it's a matter of just knowing to uh, knowing how to identify you know what po- could possibly be. Um, uh, an attack um, and communicate, you know, let your security professionals, you know, if you think something's fishy, let them know, ask, because uh, in many cases a a simple question is saying, well, this kind of looks fishy. I need to send it to somebody to validate, or I need to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, Hey, did you send this to me? Is, you know, did you intend for me to to get this attachment? I want to make sure that it's not, you know, that's not an issue and you know it's in many cases it's that when um and i've actually had this happen is my facebook account somehow was spoofed and essentially they sent out emails to all my contacts and basically said hey attach here's a picture and you could see it's a it looked like a gift but what it really was is it was uh, it was an actual background executable that actually installed malware and you know, I've seen that happen a couple times, where my friends would get infected and they would blame me, and then I find out that they got it, they got attacked from someone else, and then I got attacked. You know, so it was very much one of these uh, very strange scenes where it would infect through contacts, and something that you thought was coming from your friend, um, you know, it, it just it could have been just as simple for me to pick up the phone and say, hey, did you intend to send that because you never sent anything to me via Facebook? Now all of a sudden I'm getting emails from you on Facebook. That's strange.
0: Yeah, I've and I've gotten emails from friends saying my my Facebook or my Gmail or whatever account was hacked. You know, if you get something, disregard it. I've changed my password. Right. And uh, basically, if I get an email and there's an EXE in there or any kind of like you said a GIF, I generally will not click on it. And I've told people don't click on anything in an email because you yeah. never know.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm in 100% agreement. Unless you really know where that source is coming from, um, you know. And, and the other the other thing is, also is that you know the links that we see in, in emails sometimes read read the address. Don't just assume that it's a link that, that that makes sense because what you'll find out is that there may be you know misspellings in the email. There may be you know things that just don't make any sense where the English doesn't make sense.
0: Ah uh, yes, I've seen that before. The grammar is so bad, you know, it's 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 not valid.
1: <laughs> right, right. And it's it's almost comical in some ways, but the problem is is that someone that isn't paying attention will likely click on that link. And and even in the link, the link address itself, you know, it may be, you know, um dot you know, you or something and not even recognize it. Right you know, so the domain itself can be, um, can be spoofed. Now there are, you know, the internet itself is just, you know, is the wild, wild west. You know, it's, it's been, it's been a great asset for, and changed, you know, our lives forever. But what it's also doing is that it's giving a form for a new set of criminals to really, um, to really make that their playground. And so, Uh, I think that it's it's the one thing that we can do is be more aware of the situation um, that we have in front of us. You know, be more cautious about teach your kids to be more cautious about what they click. You know, it's uh, that's really another aspect is that children are being targeted now for social engineering. Why? Because, you know, they have a sense of authority, a sense of respect of authority, that if it's someone that they think is of authority, they'll comply
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that's and that's another way that they can get in
0: do you have any any stats about what what this is i know i at the beginning of the interview i mentioned some stats but do you have any bet anything better that that kind of scares people
1: <laughs> uh well uh, here's here's some stats i mean uh, there's or some there's some stats that i that, that i looked at you know one of the things that you said you know that um, 90% um, of data bre- breaches are associated with phishing phishing attempts.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if you think about it is that these phishing attempts you know, they, they are the cause of about 90% of those data breaches. I mean, that's just one simple one right there. You know, another one here is that uh, that, you know, you talked about the increase of, you know, of, of, of attempts. Um, that increases, you know, year over year by about 65 to 75% a year. So that the number of times that we get attacked is thousands potentially. And we don't even know it. You know, we'll we'll, we'll bypass that, you know, those messages, but it only takes one time for them to be successful.
0: Yeah, it's it's you know, I I can about the number of emails I get Per day, because I have like four addresses. And I have one address that I always use, you know, when you fill out forms or, you know, you order something online and it asks for an email address. I always put what I call, call my junk email. So right. I, I have my regular email that I use for, you know, serious business, and I have my junk email, and even the, the emails I get in the, my serious email inbox. Are, are amazing. Some of the, 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 the attempts I get each oh, day, yeah.
1: of course. Uh, and, and that's kind of the, you know, the idea, well, the, here's another step to think about. This is the scary one is that every month there are about 1.5 million new fishing sites that go up. So every single month, it's a, uh, it's another million and a half attempts that they will brand new attempts that they're going to be trying at us. Um, to get information from us. So it is, it's staggering is that the technology that that, attack, that hackers are using is so prevalent. It's so easy to put up, and it's so easy to replicate. And then once they, they get your data, once they breach you, whether it's for money, for information, is that they literally take that information and make it – they sell it to somebody else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So very much like my user ID and password, um, it got breached somehow. They had it, and I know they had it, um, and then they sold it to somebody. And so that someone was trying to exploit that for me. And it's a very common practice for, for hackers to do is that once they obtain the data, that they won't use it. They'll sell it to somebody else.
0: So how often do you recommend our listeners change their passwords?
1: Well, you know, that's a, it's a really good question. Uh, it's not so much, you know, the the, the – the, the problem with passwords is that passwords are very antiquated, and, and I can't tell you how many times I've actually forgotten my password for a website that I use so <laughs> infrequently. <laughs>
0: yes, I do too. You
1: know, so you end up changing the password, and then you're forgetting about that. You know, um, the, the big thing is is that there's better ways of, of, of really doing passwords. So there's programs that you can obtain that, um, that generate those passwords for you and track them and manage them yourselves. But the problem is, is that you put all your keys in one basket. Yep, And, and that's also, you know, uh, the, the scary thought is that, well, what if someone gets that, they get to everything, you know? So it's a, it's, it's very disconcerting. Personally, what I do is that I change my passwords usually about every 30 days, but that's not always a hard and fast rule because I, I don't visit all the, you know, the, uh, the multitude of websites that I, that, that I have. But however, what I do do is I actually have an encrypted program that I keep a list of all my passwords. And what I essentially do there is that if it's a if it's something that's really important, such as a financial institution or a work website or a, something that I that's very sensitive, such as you know um, my children's you know uh, the medical records you know for the doctor's office, I try to keep those passwords at least you know updated. Um, every 30 days, but it's the, the ones that I'd rarely get on, you know, the, the fourth email address that I usually forget to check, you know, because I don't use it very often. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things that, you know, where that's the attack surface that most hackers are going after is those those areas that aren't as well protected.
0: What uh, you, you mentioned some, some encryption tools. Are those generally available to the public or or are they expensive or, you know, where can no, they not get? Re-
1: they're, they're generally available to the, to the public. Um, and, but, and you can do you know, a very quick search on Google or Bing for, you know, for password managers. Um, and there's a variety of different types. Um, it's personal preference at that point because what you need to really look at is that, you know, how can you manage you know, the, the passwords? Uh, do you have access to those passwords? Can you see those passwords? Um, how often do you need to change those passwords? My biggest problem is that um, passwords are very difficult for people. I can't wait to the day where I can walk up to the computer and the computer recognizes who I am and can validate who I am. Very much like my iPhone with you know with facial recognition. Yes. You know it's it's almost effortless. Um, it used to be really cool when I can come up and use my thumb. Um, but the reality is is that thumbprints actually can be Um, uh, can be spoofed very easily. So, you know, but it's, it's now becoming where security has to be easy to use um, and it's, and it has to be um, strong enough to be um, not broken. And there's a fine line between too easy and too, too difficult. Um, So I'd, I'd love to have that technology, you know, in the future, I think we're still, A little bit of ways away from that, you know, for it to be ubiquitous and to be standardized. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that I'll go to one website. They'll have different password requirements than another website and they'll use an entirely different, you know, scheme for, for passwords. So until we get off the password, um, requirements and more onto natural, um, security methods, um, it's going to be, it's going to be really the, the most difficult thing to, to, to get into. Um, I like the idea of two-factor authentication, but that, again, is very difficult because some people just don't like that. Yeah. It's too difficult.
0: The uh, the facial recognition, the the thumbprint, that's called biometric screening, right? Or biometric? Correct. Okay.
1: Biometrics, yep.
0: Because yep. I, I like the, the facial recognition on my iPhone, too, and I, I wish, um, I know when I turn on my MacBook, it it reads from my watch and it knows that my watch is on me and it unlocks my la- my macbook so that right. makes things nice um and i know airlines now delta is one of them i believe that has instituted mm-hmm. facial recognition for boarding
1: yes i read that recently yes i did see
0: that and i uh, recently went to poland and they they did that in atlanta i believe and it it was cool, but it slowed things down. Uh, so they, I think the technology for, for that has a long way to come. But it's, it's moving, moving forward relatively quickly, I think.
1: It is. It is. And, if, and you know, what's interesting is that uh, when I went, to, I went to London, England recently, and in their customs area, they don't have custom agents anymore, where you come in and, you, you know, you, you put in your, pa- your, your passport and they look at you, they, then they stamp it. What what happens now is I walk up to a kiosk. The last thing to take to 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 um, put my passport down on a piece of glass where it scans it, takes a picture of it, and then I have to look into a camera. And it validates, you know, the picture on my passport and picture on my uh, on the screen to see is that really you, or is there, or, or do we need to have someone further inspect this? So what they're doing is that they're using some of these newer biometric technologies for a point of validation, but it also sort of screening out the 80%, you know, that are, that are valid and really focusing on the 20% exceptions. You know, that's where they're using their agents much more to, 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 to sort of inspect further. But, you know, as long as the technology is able to at least have a scoring mechanism where it says that we're 90% positive that that's you in your picture and that's you in the screen, you know, we'll let you go. But it's the 10% that they're looking for.
0: Right. And they have that here in Minneapolis. Um, you know, you, I'm on my phone. I fill out the, uh, the paperwork before I land. And then I go to the kiosk. And it has that information. I put in my, scan my passport. I smile. They give me a receipt. I give it to the guy on the way out. And uh, yep. I'm good to go.
1: Exactly, exactly. So... Technology is is certainly enabling, you know, for security to be much more valid because um, it's much easier. We don't have that ubiquitous, you know, method for everything yet. Um, And until we, you know, till the the future actually arrives, um, we're really gonna be left out to our own devices and and knowledge to prevent those types of attacks. Mm -hmm. So for the listeners out there, you know, they're making progress. Security professionals are working really hard on those capabilities but we're not quite there yet. So you need to be diligent as far as your knowledge and your education on what's safe to do and what's safe not to
0: do. Before we uh, end the interview here, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom for our listeners?
1: Um, Final thoughts. I probably say that, um, you know, when it comes to technology and, and your use of that technology, you know, we rely on it so much to do everything. Um, that it's getting to the point where we have to be extremely diligent, uh, diligent about how we uh, how we interact with that technology. Um, you can't replace, you know, picking up the phone and calling somebody or talking to somebody and validating uh, information. So think of everything that you're doing as far as when people are asking you for sensitive information. Just you know, trust but verify, um, because nowadays it's so easy for us to uh, to fall into the the trappings of. I don't have time or it's not important or this looks okay. You know, it's more of, it's time for us to take a step back and really just reevaluate, you know, the thinking behind that. Because um, as I said before, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, and that is really relying upon your ability to, validate that information
0: Mm -hmm. yes and if it's uh you know from my point of view if it's too good to be true it probably is like the oakley sunglasses for 299 yeah they're just getting your your credit card number and that's all they want that's exactly it okay victor i want to thank you for your time and i'm sure our listeners have learned so much about social engineering threats and uh, hopefully we can have you back another another time and for another topic
1: John, thank you. It was my pleasure. And of course, I'd love to come back.
0: Okay. Thanks a lot, Victor. All right.
1: Thank you.